previously on No Stone Unturned. I think there may be, it may have eroded by now, but I think the main way to identify the rock is that it still has class of 1895 carved into it. From what I know, there's only one Fidelt who moved it last, is what we're told. And part of the reason is because it was moved off campus to his house, and that person's no longer around. There were rumors that one of the boys was from a local farm and that that is where it went. Guessing that is where it sits, wherever that is. I'm John Hanrahan. I'm Sarah Axtell. And this is No No Stone Stone Unturned. Before we get going with the episode, Sarah and I have a little correction to make. In episode two, we told the story of the Sage Girls who stole the rock in 1957. We criticized the Laurentians' coverage of the theft, and specifically the choice to name the article Rape of the Rock. We stand by that criticism. Their headline is tasteless and reinforces the rock's gender-skewed history. But after that episode came out, our friend Alex Damish pointed out that the title's source is literary. Within a week, Liz Meyer and Ed Tankersley followed suit. Ed is the father of No Stone Unturned musician Ridley Tankersley. He messaged us, quote, The Rape of the Lock is a mock heroic poem by Alexander Pope, which recounts the capricious theft of a lock of a young society woman's hair, satirically elevating that petty crime to mythic proportions, the allegorical counterpart to the abduction of Helen of Troy. Aha! This headline belongs to an exhausting lineage of tasteless wordplay on the part of newspaper editors. As Ed told us, the meaning of the word rape had a broader definition back in 1714. Still, though the editors were alluding to a time when that word carried a lighter connotation, by the 20th century it had already come to mean something much more violent. Ed's on my side when it comes to these kinds of puns. Quote, Though I'm no fan of puns, I think the 1957 Laurentian was on the mark with their wordplay and their literary illusion. The forcible seizure of the rock, the parallels between the prankish theft of a rock and the prankish theft of a lock of hair, and the elevation to mythic status of the sage girl's feet, both at the time and in ensuing decades. Even so, invoking such a word for a literary reference, especially in the context of a story specifically focused on women, seems to cause much more trouble than it's worth. On the 4th of July, 2015, I drove up to Sturgeon Bay with a couple of friends to join Sarah for the holiday. We sat in the dugout and watched the fireworks while kids ran around screaming variations on, Thanks, Obama. Thanks, Obasha. We drove back down to Appleton that night, thinking we might as well do some local investigating before I left for Germany in August. July 5th ended up being an exceptional, cloudless summer day. So, with the car radio tuned to NPR, John and I decided to go for a drive. From what our anonymous source had told us, Sarah and I had pieced some things together. All it took was an obituary and public access tax records to point us to a local farm. A lot of old equipment. Big old bales of hay. Big old bales. Small farm. It was kind of a shot in the dark. We figured we'd drive by, maybe scope the place out a bit, 
If there happened to be a giant rock lying in the front yard, well, great. Let's see, do you want to walk past the front? Yeah. Or, yeah. people home. Yeah. Make a loop. Do a once around. Yeah. Get some photos. with the Taco John's walking tacos sign. Oh, yeah. I'll just say here, yes, we were trespassing. Yes, it was unethical. No, we hadn't initially planned on it. And no, we're not proud of it. I bet I'm not going to come out of this with at least one tick. get a bloodhound and just like give it a sample of granite. <laughs> I think that's last, last resort. Really want to go into that barn. <laughs> I don't think anyone would notice if we popped in. The dilapidated barn or the... The dilapidated barn. Okay. if you would have buried it here. I was wondering about that. I feel like it's, unless he had the foresight to think that people would be that crazy over it, he wouldn't have. Because in their mind, the only people who ever would know about it being off, or where exactly it was off campus would be Fidel's. So I'm Hoping hidden in plain sight. Yeah. If, of course, you're willing to take the farm roads around your field. Yes. Are we going to sneak into a barn? When I walk into the barn. Going to sneak into a barn. What a weird assortment of equipment. The yellow thing is... Oh. Is that? We found a thing that has Delta Ta Delta painted on it. Ninety five. No way. No way. <laughs> no way. No way. We. <laughs> found it. <laughs> we, <laughs> we have to be quiet around someone else's land. We're behind a barn. We are behind a dilapidated barn. The people who own this land are home. 
so, the so, rock is hidden behind a giant yellow plastic container for some kind of farm substance. Quality liquid feeds. And it's surrounded by very, very tall grass. Very tall grass. But this is this is it. We're it's, here. It's on some like wheel structure. It's a little bit smaller than I expected. Yeah. There, there's quite a few layers of paint chipping off. But the, the original granite is visible. Yeah. I think maybe it actively resists paint. Um, it's purple with Delta Tau Delta in yellow. And the granite itself is a really lovely red color. Yeah. 95 is so deeply engraved that it's incredibly hard to mistake. Oh my god. Oh my god. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a photo. Oh my god. It's here. Wait, should this be the time for the selfie? The first ever rock selfie. Jesus. There are people over there. <laughs> Brilliant. Wow. Well, do you want to get the hell out of here? Yeah, let's go. We can get shot at. Oh, before I contract Lyme disease. That was easy. <laughs> Thanks for making it purple so we could notice it. <laughs> in the dilapidated barn. Yeah. What a bummer. We were hoping to be able to more completely tell the story than what you've heard in this episode. Unfortunately, as you may have been able to tell from the anonymous source and the unplanned break, the process of researching and producing this story has been much more difficult than we ever could have expected. One of the things we overlooked when starting this project was that this storytelling investigative journalism hybrid format, popular in shows like Serial and This American Life, is essentially using other people's lives and stories as entertainment. Even in a fluff piece about goofy college traditions, we were entrusted with the voices and experiences of real living people with the expectation that we wouldn't unfairly portray them or jeopardize their privacy. 
Neither John nor I are trained journalists. We aren't professional radio producers. We had practically zero experience coming into this. So the sudden fragility of what we were doing came as a shock. We received helpful guidance from our assistant producer, Nathan Lawrence, an LU alum who now works for an NPR member station in Missouri, regarding the ethics of this project. We learned a lot from our work, but we are still just fledglings in this process. If you would have asked us a year ago if we were ready to take this on, we would have said, yeah, totally. We were ready for a lot of the research and production challenges that this project presented, but not all of them. If you make a mistake while scripting or editing a podcast, it can easily be reversed with a quick command Z. Interviews don't work that way. We tried our hardest to tell as much of the story as possible without digging too deep into what, frankly, isn't our business. For a while, I wanted to go further in our investigation than we did. I kept thinking, we've got to get the history right. We have to be complete. Our scoop, though, is a missing boulder. It's a special boulder, to be sure, but it's still just a rock. You can be sure that we recognize just how special this particular rock is. We'd love to see it come back to campus. But we decided that it wasn't worth prodding an entire fraternity or the owners of a single farm past their comfort zones. The rock's future is still wrapped up in Phi Delta Theta. Their national organization revoked the charter in 2010, but they still consider the rock their property. The rock is still around somewhere. It's around and it's safe. And hopefully someday it will return once. That's Josh Chetikoff, a Phi Delta alumnus from the class of 1999. While I still love the romantic image of the long-lost boulder finally returning to campus, I've come to realize that there are unresolved issues here that current students won't be able to fix. If those in charge of the rock's current fate want to get in contact about returning it to campus, it would definitely be welcomed, no questions asked. We even know of ways to cover the cost of moving it. But if they'd rather let sleeping rocks lie, we understand. At this point, it's out of our hands. And hey, we found the thing after all. And that's what we set out to do. We're done. The end. Stone Unturned is produced by John Hanrahan and me, Sarah Axtell. Ridley Tankersley wrote and performed the original score for this episode. Willa Johnson designed our logo. We received production assistance and guidance from Nathan Lawrence. Jenny Hanrahan performed the quote from our anonymous source. Special thanks to Layla Horish, Kurt Lauderdale, Aaron Dix, Mark Briesman, Jake Woodford, and Mark Burstein. For more information about No Stone Unturned, visit our website at nsupodcast.rocks. There you'll find archival photos, links to past episodes, and photo evidence that we did, in fact, find the rock, including the world's first rock selfie. That website, again, is nsupodcast.rocks. If you liked this podcast, visit our page on iTunes and throw us a nice rating or review. We really appreciate it.
What's that adage about drawing blood from a stone? I don't know. <laughs> Neither do I.